0: I believe the kids won on that one. All right, turn with me to Luke chapter 18, the gospel of Luke chapter 18. We've got Bibles right there on your row, if you would like to turn with me there, Luke 18, and we're going to look at a passage of scripture that's actually, it's not just found in Luke, it's actually found in all three of what's called the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we are going to look at the shortest version, actually, uh, which is the Luke account, um, which normally he's the longer version, but in this case he's actually uh, he's got the shorter one. So we're going to look here, 18, and actually start with verse 18. Notice these words here. It's actually one of my uh, all-time favorite stories that, that's given here. Notice this. And a ruler asked him... Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich, let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we know that your word is breathed out by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the prophets. And we pray this morning, O Holy Spirit, that you would breathe upon us through these same words, we pray in your name. Amen. We all like to be on the winning team. We all like to choose the winning team. Team. It's always tough to go to work after we've talked smack all week or whatnot from our team and have to eat our words, right? You know, it, with, with um, as I always tell people, you know, I'm a, I'm a Saints fan. By the way, I've got some jerseys up here. If you, if you failed to get a shirt and you, you forgot or whatever, I've got two jerseys up here I'm more than happy to give you and let you wear. As I tell people, I don't know if elephants or tigers or bulldogs are going to be in heaven, but I know that Saints will be in heaven... And, uh, and so I'm counting on that. Maybe not the New Orleans Saints, but definitely holy ones. And the Saints will certainly be in heaven. And I've had to eat the words. We have this song uh, with New Orleans Saints fans. We have this song, you know, Who that say they're going to beat them Saints? Who that, Who that, Right? Well, uh, sometimes after we lose, people say, Well, the Falcons, actually. Um, or <laughs> the Eagles or the, the Patriots, you know. And it's like, ah, you know, hmm. Song doesn't sound so good now that we've lost, Right? We all like to be on the winning team. And I used to have this um, professor of mine in seminary, and he would always come up to me, he was a real soft-spoken guy, and he would, he would put out his hand and he'd say, Marshall, how are you doing? Are you on the winning team today? And uh, I thought it was real corny how he would say that. You know? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm, a, I'm on the winning team. Little did I know what the winning team really was. Even as a seminary Christian, you know, studying to be a minister and already ministering in several different capacities. Little did I know what it really meant to win. And if we're going to win, we need to know what winning looks like. You know, people oftentimes do a hashtag winning, right? But really, what is winning when it comes to what is ultimate in our life? What really is it, does it mean to actually win? Um, And there's really only one who will win in the end, and it's God. We just said that with the kids. And so we obviously must be connected to to his winning, if we're going to be a winner. Um, Notice this passage here, powerful passage. And and I'd love just to spend some time uh, showing you the differences, actually, in Matthew's account to Mark's account to Luke's account. But because this is not just a Bible study and rather proclamation... I won't won't labor my time with you just in the details of that. But I will say this. Here, there's something that uh, is missing that is found in one of the other accounts. And that is, the guy actually asked this question. He says, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? What good deed? And you know what? You hear this a lot. You hear, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to be successful? What do I need to do uh, to have a great marriage, to raise my kids? We're always clicking on those uh, bait click links that say five easy ways for a perfect marriage. Three easy ways to raise your children. Twelve steps to losing weight, right? Fifteen steps to being, you know, gaining $15 million in six months. Whatever it is, I don't know. It's all these little things that we click on and we fall for. And we never really, I don't think we ever really believe those things. Do you believe those? I, I just, it's hard for me to really believe that life, that relationships, that love can be boiled down to three easy steps. Three little bullet points, three talking points... And then that's all we've got to do is just do those three things. Have you ever found those things to actually work in your life? Just following easy steps? No. No. Being on a championship team is hard work. It's not three little easy steps. And being on God's winning team is both easy and difficult. It's easy... Because we're doing it with him. It's difficult because of us. (laughs) And that is a great place to insert an amen, by the way. You know, as I've thought about this passage over the years, there are several things that strike me as important to see. One is the fact that he calls him good teacher. And Jesus immediately questions what he means by this. You know, oftentimes we're too nice to question anybody on what they actually mean by something. You know what I mean? We're just talking, talking, and we're just too nice to actually... What do you actually mean by that? You know, um, I hear heretical stuff all the time coming out of people's mouths. And sometimes I don't have the courage to actually challenge them on that. Jesus is courageous in this way. He says, what do you, hang on, what, what do you mean? Good. Only God is good. Which, kind of the point here is that he is God, right? And he's warning this young man, we actually know not from this passage, but from another one, that he's a young, rich ruler. And he says, only God is good. Now, if your experience is anything like mine, have you noticed how many people say that they're good people? I mean, have you ever ever heard this before? Somebody says, no, no, I'm actually a, a good person. Even when people get called, I've seen it on TV, you know, they're getting arrested. Like, I'm a good person, seriously. It's just not just, just one, one little thing, you know, I'm really a good person. To whom? How do we know? According to Jesus, who has to be the smartest person to ever live, no one is good but God. If there is anything good in us, which there is, it's because of God. But there are still roots of sin deep within, so deep that we can't even see the depth of our sin. One of the things, as you mature in the Christian faith, that you learn is that the enemy is not without, it's within. We are our own worst enemy. had a professor that used to always quote some movie that I've forgotten what movie it was, but I remember the quote. He said, we've seen the enemy, and the enemy is us. Have you noticed that you're your own worst enemy most of the time? Nobody has to help you be bad, right? We're pretty good at doing that ourselves. Jesus says, only God is good. And this young man... ...was looking for a quick fix, I'm convinced... ...the more I look at this passage. He's looking for three steps... ...and he wants Jesus to tell him these three steps. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And I actually think he was baiting Jesus... ...because he knew that Jesus knew the law... ...and he figured, you know what... ...the only way that he's going to tell me... ...to be good... ...is by the law... ...because the law... ...is God's good word to us. And so... ...Jesus falls right into the trap... ...I think on purpose here. Did you catch what he does? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And I think the, I think the rich young ruler really, ...he probably said, oh yeah. I know that's right. I know where he's going now. He says, don't commit adultery... ...do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. ...honor your father and your mother... And and I think that at that point, the rich young ruler like myself at one point in my life was chomping to tell Jesus how good he was. He says, oh, listen, Jesus, I've actually from my youth, I followed all of that. I'm sure he had a big smile on his face, just like I used to have concerning my righteousness. The fact that I obeyed my dad, I didn't. Drink when he told me not to drink alcohol underage excessively. To do drugs? No. Cuss? Never cussed once. Middle school, elementary, high school? Not even once. No sex? Oh, yeah. Got that, Lord. We're good to go. All right. I've got eternal life, right? And I found myself at 17 years old with everybody telling me that I. ...was a good boy... ...thinking I was a good... ...guy... ...knowing... ...inside here... ...dead... ...empty... ...evil... ...in here... ...because my heart... ...did not love... ...God... ...or the things of God... ...yeah I did... ...what was right... I followed, I checked them off like those little five point sites that we go to to be successful easy. Checked them right off. And yet, I was in my room crying at 17 years old because I knew I didn't love God. And I knew, too, here was the scariest thing for me I knew this. That I couldn't make myself love God. And that was pretty scary. Here's what I actually knew. Is that I would have gone to hell. If I'd have died in that moment. That's what I knew. Because I was that separated from God. And yet obeying God. Obedience alone doesn't save you. Amen. In your relationships, has it ever saved you? No. We know plenty of people who on the outside would say, Man, y- y'all have got a great marriage. But they know differently. Family? Oh, your family looks looks fantastic. On Facebook. but we know the reality and just like this young man we're eager to share with others what we've done and how good we are on social media to our friends and we develop this projection of ourselves and people like the projection and so we keep projecting and it's because of the obsession it's not our reality at night, when we lay down, we know it's not the reality, but it's a projection that people like, and so we keep it up. We never get real with people. We never confess our sins because we're a good person. And Jesus says, You're a liar. I'm a liar. And I was. And you know, if it's not something that we can do that saves us, what do you do with that? You see, the more I study mythology and other world religions, which I do often and teach about it even, the thing that other, other religions offer us is magic, is ritual, is idolatry. And all that kind of stuff sounds foreign, but it's really, if you boil it all down, it's the same thing as this. It's real simple. It's something you can do. It's not something impossible. You can mix a potion. You can follow a ritual, you can say a mantra. you can memorize the Vedas. You can. You can get, devote yourself to one of the gods. But Christianity overwhelmingly says, this is not something you can do. This is impossible. But with God. And so, if, if we can't do anything to ritually, mythically, magically make God do something, If he's immaterial, which the gods, by the way, never are, but God is. God is spirit. Then that means there's nothing that we can do that he's connected to where we drop an elbow on him and it hurts him. He's separate from us. He's separate from creation. There is no magic that works on God. We can't trick him like we trick each other. We can't manipulate him like we manipulate each other. And so all we can do is trust Him. That's the only thing left to do. I mean, this is what I'm convinced is childlike faith. is not being childish, but not being in control of your life. Amen. One of the things that I hated most about being a kid, right, was I wanted to go to Todd Parker's house. And Daddy said, No. And I had strategized. I had manipulated. I waited until the right moment because I studied my father. I knew the right moment was when he was shaking everybody's hand after church. He was happy because he had just got through preaching. Everybody's shaking his hand. I'd come up and say, Daddy, can I go to Todd Parker's house? Yeah, 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 son, whatever, you know. And I'd get a yes until I got a no or until I got a yes and then a no because he had changed his mind because he realized what was happening. I was trying to manipulate him. And when you get that no, it's just, it's just so final. You're just, I mean, what? You, no, I mean, we had plans. We were going we to do this. We were going to go bike ride. We were going to, no, no. And so people just throw fits, throw themselves on the floor, at least around my house. That's what happens. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some of you have witnessed this. A child can't do anything about it. Can't go get in the car, go to his friend's house. He's just got to trust that dad knows best. That's what childlike faith is. We're too adult. We're adulting. Hashtag adulting. With our faith, doing things that we can do and then patting ourselves on the back saying, man, this is... This is a good look. What I'm doing, Lord? Look at this. I'm I'm going to church, man. Look, look at those people over there. They're, they're, oh, so and so over there. I'm not going to point fingers, but you know what I mean. That person over there on the other side. I've heard stuff about them. Man, I am a good person. Liar. Even our best motives sometimes are tainted with rottenness. Mine have been. Mine were. Oh, I could say it right. I was defending the faith at school. I was talking to people out of getting drunk at school, out of doing drugs, defending Jesus. I was already doing it. But in here, cold, dead, still coming to Jesus saying, what do I need to do to inherit eternal? Give me something else to do. That I can do. But God wanted me. Not what I can do. Amen. That's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I often fall into this even in my own marriage. I, I Hey, Jessica, look what I... I washed the dishes. Look at that. Now, hey, you know. I mean, check that out. All of a sudden, the grass is... How's that grass looking? I'm... Very eager, if you know me. I'm very eager to point out to her what I do. Because I think it's pretty good. I don't really do much that um, I think is bad. I don't like doing things that I do bad and poorly. And I'm ready to share it. I want her to know this. Part of that's alright. But she wants me more than the grass mode. She wants me more than what I can give to her, she actually, she's, she's crazy, but she wants me. And you know what? God is crazy about you. He actually, listen, I mean, it's, it's, he doesn't want the projection that you've been projecting. He doesn't want what people think about you at work or at school or even in your own family that you've hidden from. We're very good at hiding, just like our first parents in the garden. No, no, he wants the real you and he loves you. He loves you and he actually likes you. You know, that's kind of, in the South we're like, oh yeah, we love everybody, right? I sure don't like her though, you know what I mean? God loves you and God likes you. I mean, I still fall for the enemy's tricks for me. I'm like, Lord, you'll like me if I preach like so and so or if, if I do like this or do that for people or look like this. You know, man, they, they, they're preaching to this many people. So they must be doing it right. And he says, no, no, I want you. I want you. Not what you can do for me. Jesus wanted this rich young man. He did. The rich young man wasn't the only one in this story who became sad at the end. Because we're told in another account that Jesus looked at him and had compassion on him. Have you ever in the midst of someone just getting belligerent with you or angry with you or sideways with you? Have you ever just looked at them and really had compassion on them? Because you knew that that anger really wasn't directed even to you. It's ultimately all directed to God. When we abuse each other, when we do these things, David has it right. Even though he committed adultery, he says this in his prayer of of repentance. Psalm 51, he says, To you and you only have I really sinned and done this evil. God has a way in the world to live. And when we don't live that way, we spit in His face. We throw up our hand in disobedience to Him. I'm going to do it my way. Did you notice the commands that He didn't mention? (laughs) Jesus is very strategic, you know what I mean? Like He's just... He's the smartest guy ever to live, you know. He lists six commands here, and he actually mixes them up. They're not in order, which is, I just find that odd. And, it, you know, we'll have to talk to him later about that. But he doesn't mention four of the commandments, which are the first four Commandments. Which the first four commandments of the ten deal with our relationship to God, you may remember. The last six deal with our relationship with each other. This guy had it down. His relationship with others, everybody thought he was rich and young and good. But he wasn't. He wasn't obeying the very first command know that God's before me. And without the first obedience, there can't be the second obedience or the third or the fourth or the fifth. We have to keep first things first. And we all, we all make idols of all kinds of things in our life. What's an idol to you? I would laugh at. What? Kidding me? That's a problem for you. You would laugh at mine. The ones I've hidden in my life. Out of view. But when I'm with myself. That's the ones I come bring out. And I worship them. I give my time to them. Even my motives a lot of times. Are wrong because I'm only really thinking about. Getting to that point. Or to keeping that bitterness. Or to harboring my time. Or my money, my possessions. The Bible has a word for this. You know, we oftentimes think, "Oh, yeah, there's two teams: God's and Satan's." The Bible never says that. Do you know that? It never says that. It says he's the God of this world, but there is no fighting between god and Satan. you remember god, satan's a created being right it's like we find out in job that he actually has to come before god and submit himself and he's dragging his feet all right um oh. he's like what you up been up to you know i mean just read job i don't have time to go into it but it's, it's wonderful no 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 satan there's no fight he fights with us And the Bible calls this word, says, look, you can't have two masters, Jesus says. You'll either serve the one or the other. Love the one or the other. What is this? Mammon. It's a weird word, isn't it? Mammon. You'll either serve God, not Satan, but God or mammon. What is mammon? It's a weird word, right? You probably haven't dropped that word recently in your vocabulary, I'm assuming. If you have, let me know after the service. I would love to talk to you. Most translations translate this word mammon as money, wealth, or material possessions. It actually is an Aramaic word. So Jesus would have actually spoken this word mammon. And it also is a Greek word, of course, where we get um, the word that we have today. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches that our relationship to material goods, we should be very careful. Very careful with our material goods. He says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. By the way, in heaven, we're told they walk on gold. That doesn't mean it's going to be a place of riches. It means nobody cares about gold and money. See, we got it all wrong when we clap. Oh, yeah, can't wait to get to heaven, my mansion. It says room, actually. Room. Walking on streets of gold. I get my brick, you know, get my brick on. No, 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 no. Nobody talks about storing up asphalt. No. Gold is worthless in heaven. We walk on it. And for their world, horses and camels poop on it. It's not just a place to drive our nice cars with rubber tires. Jesus says... You'll either serve the one or the other. And then he says this. is crazy what he says. He says, or you'll love the one and despise the other. That was me. That was me. I, I didn't hate God. I didn't hate God. Most people aren't going to say, yeah, yeah, I hate God. I'm on team Satan. Hoot up. You know. That's not the choice that Satan presents to us. It's just, he wants to stay hidden. He doesn't want you to mention his name. He wants you to think you're a Christian and hoard money. Have a good life. Enjoy it. He loves it. I'm convinced, listen to my children pray, and trying to correct their praying, and my own praying, that he, Satan, loves when we pray for ourselves. And for our own safety. And for our own wealth. And well-being. Because he knows that when we're healthy, wealthy, and wise, we don't need God at all. We've got Walmart for crying out loud. Walmart supplies all our needs according to its riches and glory. Not God. None of us really live by manna, do we? Remember how manna worked, right? You only got a certain amount for today. You picked it up and you said, you know what? I'm going to just store up a couple days. I'm going to lay up tomorrow. You know, I'm going to be sick and stuff. And that stuff would spoil. We're not called to mammon, but manna from above. Yesterday's faith ain't going to cut it today. You see. God doesn't just want you to give an hour or two on Sunday, maybe for some of you an hour or two on Wednesday, some devotional time throughout the week when you get around to it, and some of your money. If you've heard me say that, if you think that that's what being a Christian is, let me just be the first to say I'm very sorry that we've communicated that to you. Now, we invite you to all these things, to missions and to small group, because we know it's changed our life. But you can come to all the things that we offer here. And if you don't love God in your heart, the scripture says that you're separated from God and that you don't know God. You, like me, I was there every time the door was open. Trust me, my father made sure of it. I even had to lock up the church and I'd always run through in the dark. Oh, please don't reveal yourself to me, God, by an angel. I've heard about those stories. I don't want to do that. (sighs) I'd be gone. Scared to death of angels. Truly. No. Jesus wants a relationship with you. All the other stuff will come when we start following His Spirit and allowing His Spirit into our life. We won't have to beg you to come to small group or to be a part of this mission or to freely give of your money. Joyfully give. You won't despise obeying him. You won't despise it like I did. I've been there. I've lived that life where, where, yeah, I was doing it just to get to heaven. look at those people out there having fun though. And I looked longingly at the world inside worshiping what others were doing, hating what I was doing. That is not the Christian life, my friend. Can I repeat that again? That is not what Christ is offering, but life in abundance. You see, there is not a basic package and a deluxe package when it comes to the gospel. Some of us aren't called to holier things and the deluxe version that costs a little more and others to the basic package and we're just not going to make it maybe in another life. No, that's a lie. Actually, a Hindu lie, by the way. That's why I have so many lives. No, you get one life and that entire life that you have. Just real quick, look at me. And I just want to communicate this as if Jesus was communicating it to you. The one life that you have that's sitting before me, my life that I have that's standing before you, that's the life he wants. He doesn't just want a part of it. He wants the whole thing. That's all he's offering. There's only one call in the gospel. is to die to yourself and live to God. It's kind of like that Richard Schwartz guy, you know. One call, that's all. There's one call. Do you know what I'm talking about? No? One call, that's all? No, you haven't seen those? Surely you've seen those. My goodness, I thought that was going to be funnier. But anyway, Um, one call, that's all. That's all he's got is one call. And it's everything or nothing. As soon as we hold back, that's where it stops. That's where we are separated. You say, ah, you know, this thing is just mine, though. It'll kill you. Whatever it is, it'll kill you. Kill your faith. It'll do more damage than you can possibly imagine. I'm living proof. We've got to give it to him. We must give it to him. Father knows best, doesn't he? Let me end with this, this story that I've given before, but I feel led like to share it again. Baylor, our second son, when he was a little bitty guy, one year old in Jackson. Being three years old, Jessica and I uh, were trying to get a little more sleep <laughs> than he had allowed that night. And uh, so we were still in the bed. We had turned on a show, you know, maybe this is typical around your house if you have children. They're watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, right? So Jackson's in there, you know, and Baylor's in there with him. And, uh, and I get woken up to daddy. Uh, Birdie, that's, that's what he called Baylor. If you know our house, we have a bunch of nicknames for everybody, so don't get confused. But Birdie, he says Birdie uh, has a knife. And I'm like, oh, you know, kids knives and kitchenette sets and whatever else. At this point, we didn't have any girls in the house, just two boys. And I thought to myself, hang on, my mind was trying to wake up. We don't have a kitchenette set. We don't have any fake knives. So whatever he's calling a knife may actually be a real knife. And so I come in, and Frank is there. Frank is who uh, Bertie is, who is Baylor. Remember, please uh, bear with me. Um, And Baylor had gotten into the dishwasher somehow. If you know Baylor, then you know the kind of person he is, and he can do these kinds of things. Uh, But he had gotten in the dishwasher... Unlocked the thing that holds the knives together and actually gotten out two stainless steel pairing knives. You know what these are? You know, little, little knives that are all stainless steel, super duper sharp, right? Have points on them uh, that once I saw them, I almost threw up. You know, it's like, wow, that's not good. And here he is with his passy watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse with these two knives in his hand. And Jackson's like, see? Told you come stand right beside him. I'm like, oh! Ah! You know, because I walk in, I'm like, huh? Ah. If you know me, I freak out a little bit sometimes with stuff like that. And I'm like, uh. and so I'm in a precarious situation, obviously. You know, here's a one year old with two stainless steel knives in his hand. Now, if you know anything about it, you say, oh, just grab them from him, you know, stupid kid. Oh, yeah, right. You don't know much about kids, right? If you try to grab something from a kid and they found it, right? Because, I mean, he had, he'd worked hard to get these things, I'm sure. These were his. They were shiny and they were cool and they were new and kids love all that stuff. He had found them. Thought he'd done something pretty good. If you just come right at him, what's he gonna do? Draw in and hurt himself. Or you could just say, well, you know what? Ah, big deal. You know, kids are kids. Let them play. You know, and he's gonna kill his brother, right? Uh who's now standing right beside him. See, Daddy, I told you. So I just in a moment, I think led by the Spirit, (laughs) reached out my hand and said, I said, baby, will you give daddy the knife, sweetie? And he gave him to me. Disaster averted. And then the Lord said, I want to teach you something from that. You're oftentimes bailer. You think you've done something good. You think you found something cool that you can hide from others and enjoy while you're still serving me, it's impossible. It's all or nothing. And what you think is good for you can kill you and hurt others. Give it to me, sweetie, is what God is saying today. Give it to me. Do you trust me enough to give it to me? I know you've held on, some some things in our lives we've held on for a long, they've almost become a part of us. It's time to give up that bitterness. Lust, anger, unforgiveness, lying, Disobedience. You know, unbelief is sin. Knowing to do something and not doing it is sin. It's time to give it to God. And when you do, the good news is, we don't have to walk away very sad, as our text says about the rich young ruler. But instead, we can walk away very glad today. We can be free of that thing we've been holding on to for so long. We can be free. And that is the truth of the gospel, brother and sister. Believe that word because it is true. He can do it, not me. He can do it, not you. God can do it. With man, all things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's have a childlike faith. There's only one call today, and it's to lay everything down. Everything. And when we do that, the joy of the Spirit of God himself will rush into our lives and fill us with all the good things that are unimaginable right now. You say, surely not for me, surely for you today. Right now, we can respond, and we will. Amen.